take your Bibles to Exodus chapter 8 tonight. The other day I was uh, listening to an interview of a professional athlete, and this athlete was a little bit different in the way that he handled his diet and exercise uh, program. Most athletes are very conscientious about what they eat, and they're very hardworking when it comes to their exercise. But this man was very unique in the fact that he was willing to eat whatever. If he wanted a hot dog, he ate a hot dog. If he wanted a piece of chocolate cake or the entire chocolate cake, he ate it. And uh, when the uh, radio host asked him, I mean, how does he stay in such physical shape? I mean, he's such an athlete. How does he stay like that, eating all that he wants? And you know what he said? He said, I'll, I'll eat whatever I want. I'm just willing to do the work to work it off. And a lot of us have just sat around Dad's table so long, we've just gotten fat off food, but we aren't sharing that with the starving world. And sometimes we see pictures of, like, African children, and we have pity on them uh, because they don't have access to clean water, they don't have access to a lot of food. But really, that's the picture of our world. It's starving. And it's bloated on sin, and yet we kind of sit around Dad's table with plenty, not willing to offer them what we have. So I hope that song was an encouragement, because that's what it's saying. People are sitting around Dad's table eating, enjoying the plenty, while other people are out in the field not working. And so tonight, that's not what the sermon is about, but that was a very good sermon that that song preached. And I hope that it was a blessing to you. Exodus chapter 8 tonight, I want to thank you for being diligent to be where you ought to be. I'm talking about you're just there. And uh, you are our church. There's a lot of people that come to this church, but you are our church. And so I'm thankful for you and your willingness, and more can be better said, your faithfulness. Exodus chapter 8, verse number 20 tonight. And let me just say this on the heels of that. Just because you're here doesn't make you less of a fan. In fact, I would say it makes you more of a fan, just a fan of the right God. So I'll check that. Actually, my iPad's going to update me throughout the game. But amen. Uh, we'll just uh, Exodus chapter number 8, verse 20. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Lo, he cometh forth to the water and saying to him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Else, if thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thy houses, and the houses of the Egyptians, shall be full of the swarms of flies, and also the ground whereon they are. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarm of flies shall be there, to the end that thou may knowest, uh, know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. And I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. And the Lord did so, there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into the, his servants' houses and into all the land of Egypt. And the land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. And Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not meet so to do. For we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God? Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and will they not stone us? 
We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God, and he shall command as he shall command us. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go, that ye may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only ye shall not go very far away and treat for me. And Moses said, Behold, I go out from thee, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Tomorrow, but let not Pharaoh deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And he removed the swarm of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people, There remained not one. Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray tonight that your word would be quick and powerful. Lord, use me as simply a vessel, an instrument, a tool to convey the truth of the word of God. Lord, I've been placed on this earth to preach this book. It is uh, the calling of my life. It is the entire purpose I'm here. And uh, Lord, I I, I take that privilege... uh, greatly. Lord, I'm so thankful that you've put me in this position and given me this pulpit to preach tonight. Father, I pray that you'd allow me to do it humbly and not out of pride, not out of self, but Father, I pray that you would be glorified and this book would be uplifted and taught. I pray tonight that every person in this room would realize that I have no vendettas, no agendas. I'm just simply trying to proclaim the truth of God and that your Holy Spirit will be the one that's actually preaching tonight to the heart of Christians and saints. Father, I pray tonight in your wonderful name. Amen. Now we find ourselves at the fourth plague of Egypt. And we've looked already at quite a bit here in the book of Exodus. And a lot has transpired. But hopefully you've been here throughout the uh, first few times we preached on this. And you kind of know what's going on. But basically God has sent several plagues. And every time Pharaoh has hardened his heart... And this plague is no different in that instance. However, it is unique, and we will see that later. My favorite part of this story is how Pharaoh is obviously sensing that he's overmatched. He's starting to react in a way that uh, shows he's starting to choke on some of his pride. Right, so he uh, dealt with the the river uh, turning to blood. He dealt with the frogs. He's dealt with the lice. Now this fly issue is just another problem that he has to deal with. And, and now instead, he still has pride. So instead of actually saying, okay, whatever God wants me to do, he says it like this. Let's make a deal. Let's just make a deal. And I believe tonight that's what the Lord would have us speak on, making a deal with God. When I was working in the uh, children's church in the Uh, A few years ago, before I went off to college, uh, after I graduated from that level, uh, I moved up to the youth department, spent a few years in the youth department, and then I went down to help Brother Brian Cohn uh, in that uh, uh, children's church there. We had a great time, had a lot of kids come, a lot of kids get saved, and I do believe that if we see all these kids coming to Jesus, you ought to be thankful for that. And you ought not question in your mind, well, I bet that they don't even know what they did. There's a slight possibility of that, but I do know that Jesus was very welcoming of children when they came to him. And so I'm thankful for our children's church. I'm thankful for all the people that serve in that children's church. And those people are trained specifically 
to interrogate those kids to make sure they know what they're doing before they step off and do it. In fact, I actually received a lot of my training from Brother Adam Burney, and I appreciate that uh, as uh, he helped me in those days. Nonetheless, Brian Cohn was the kind of the leader there, and uh, we followed his lead, which obviously you realize where that was going to take us if we did that for very long. But uh, we love Brother Brian. He did a great job, and he had a lot of fun games. He's as good of a speaker to children as I've ever seen in my life. One time we had a rodeo, and there were probably the stands at the Johnson County Junior Sheriff's Policy or was just filled with kids. And the whole time, for about five to ten minutes, and five to ten minutes is a great amount of time, they were just locked in as Brian Cohn preached to them. And it was an amazing thing. So I enjoyed spending time under Brian Cohn there doing that. And uh, one of the things that he would do is he would play all these amazing games. And one of the games that I preferred the most was a game called The Whole Enchilada. And some of you uh, who have experience with the children's church know exactly what I'm talking about. The Whole Enchilada. And the game was played like this. I hope I can remember it somewhat correctly. But the game was essentially the kids would win a preliminary round somehow, whether they were asked a question or whether they had to complete a game of some type. They would win a prize for the preliminary round. And the whole enchilada was a game of negotiation. You see, they had in their possession uh, a gift card or a candy bar or something like that. And they had it in their hand. And Brian Cohn was a good, I mean, a salesman. And um, uh, what his job was to do was to paint up the idea that what is in this box or behind the curtain was the whole enchilada. And they could not see what the whole enchilada was, but they could either keep what was in their hand or go for the whole enchilada. And that's how Brian would do it. And it was just amazing. These kids, man, they were plugged in. This kid would have a king-size candy bar, you know. He's been looking for this. He answered the question. When he got the question right, he said, you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, yes, that was the answer. He was so excited when he got his king-size candy bar, man. It was a Snickers. It was awesome. It was great. And then what would happen is Brian would begin to upsell the whole enchilada. And after a little while, the king-size candy bar, which the kid had and had previously been so excited about, didn't seem such, such a big deal anymore. I mean, it wasn't the whole enchilada. If anything, it was a partial enchilada. So Brian would do his salesman, and some of the kids were smart. And they'd say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my candy bar. And everybody in the crowd, we want to see the whole enchilada. No, I'm taking it. You don't have to live with this. And uh, they'd take their candy bar. And probably eight or nine out of ten kids, they'd do this. They'd think for a little bit. And then they'd say, I want the whole enchilada. Now, as an adult worker, I laughed every time it happened. Because very, very rarely was the whole enchilada an upgrade. In fact, most of the time it was a roll of toilet paper or a a paper clip or something like that. And somehow Brian had a unique knack for uh, making sure that the time they chose not to take the whole enchilada, he was like, what's this, a $20 bill? And it was just 
amazing to watch. And those kids were negotiating. And, and oftentimes, what was painted to be this great thing, uh, they wanted both things, but they had to settle for one. I, I want you to realize tonight that a lot of Christians are playing both sides of the fence. And I, I hope that you know where I, I'm going with this, is there's a lot of people that want to be a Christian uh, uh, when the time is right, and when the right group of individuals is around, and they will dress up, and they will uh, show up, and they will uh, look up, and then when the right, the other crowd is around, they won't quite be so glowing in their Christian testimony. Uh, but I want to be very clear tonight. It, it, you will have to settle for one. There's no gray area with an almighty God. And, and, and a lot of times we stand in negotiations with God like, God, I want the whole enchilada. But most of the time what the world is promising, in fact, all the time what the world is promising is always a downgrade from what God promises. I want to share with you tonight just four, yes, four, I said four, my family convinced me to go down one. I want to share with you four items on making a deal with God. First of all, I want you to see the declaration here in our passage. God's declaration by the mouth of Moses, God's man. He uses Moses to deliver this message. He instructs Moses to meet Pharaoh down at the river's edge. And, and, and Moses says this, Pharaoh, you're going to have to let the children of Israel go. And if you don't let the children of Israel go, and you can look at it in verse 20 and verse 21, and if you don't let the children of Israel go, uh, God's going to send flies in the land. Now, I find this uh, plague unique because this is the first time that God has made it unique to only Egypt. And, and, and Moses says, now, you, you, you're going to have to let them go, and if you don't let them go, God's going to send flies and smite the land of Egypt. And they're going to be everywhere. Oh, Moses, they're going to be on the ground you're walking on. They're going to be in, in your shower. They're going to be in your kitchen. They're going to be everywhere. Uh, Moses, uh, Pharaoh, this is going to be the worst thing you can imagine. Flies will be everywhere. Do you know God always works in absolutes? In fact, God's an absolute God. What I mean by that is God is absolutely holy. God is absolutely truth. God is absolutely righteousness. God is absolutely powerful, absolutely all-knowing, absolutely everywhere. And He is absolutely not evil. You understand? Every aspect of our God is absolute. He is absolute love. He is absolutely not hateful. He is absolute in every area of His life, in every area of His personality, in every area of His character. So when he deals with you and I, he is no different. In fact, I can give you the example of the, the Ten Commandments. How does God label it? Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not. And he gives absolute commands. And then when Jesus is questioned later, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus then gives us instruction on what we are to do. But it's just as absolute. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Every bit of your fiber, every bit of your being ought to love God fully, absolutely. 
Then he goes, the second is like unto the first. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Love your neighbor absolutely. Sometimes we get this idea that God doesn't work in the realm of absolute, but God makes declarations here in our passage, and he makes declarations to us. Christian, you cannot play both sides of the fence. Isaiah chapter 1 says this, Come now and let us reason together, Though your, uh, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat of the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured by the sword. Absolutes, you understand, that's how it works. God says, if you obey, I will bless. If you disobey, I will chastise. That's the way it's always worked. God is an absolute God, and he works in declarative statements. I want you to notice, secondly, the distinction that he makes. Now, as I alluded to earlier, this is the first set of plagues that God has sent that differentiated Egypt from Israel. You see, as far as I can tell, if God smites all of the water of Egypt with blood, including within the pots, within the vessels, within, uh, around the river, uh, around in, in, in ponds, if, if God smites all of that, would you say that would affect the children of Israel? Well, sure it would. And as far as I can tell, the frogs even affected the children of Israel. But God makes a clear distinction here that there would be a group of people that he would bless and a group of people that he would curse. That distinction was that the children of Israel who were residing in the land of Goshen, they wouldn't have any problems. In fact, it would be like a barrier was set around them, and no flies would bother them, and they could go on with life as normal. But the, the Egyptians, they would have problems, man. They're going to have flies ever. You ever been out in the woods late at night, whether you're watching fireworks or something? seems like the flies are going to pick you up and carry you off. And whether it's the mosquitoes, you know, our, our, our mosquito dactyls we have here in Texas. Uh, yeah, you've seen them. Uh, they're bigger than normal mosquitoes. Uh, they bite you and your, your, your toe or wherever they bite you just immediately turns pale white because there's no blood left in it. You know those. You ever been out there in the woods where you just, oh, man, and you hear, and you swat at it, goes away for a brief second. the most annoying thing ever. Could you imagine being Pharaoh here dealing with all these flies? There would be no relief. Hey, there were no thermocells in the Egyptian day. There was no cutter, no 100% deep. There was none of that. They just had to deal with it, man. And God says, I'm going to put this plague upon you and you alone, and I'm going to make a clear distinction between those who are my children and those who are not. You know, God still makes clear distinctions of people who, how he deals with people who obey him and how he deals with people who disobey him. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 1, in fact, it's one of the best ways to start out any book in the Bible. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate 
day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that he bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The Bible says the man who listens to God, the man who loves God's word, the man who watches his influences and his intake, that man is blessed and he will prosper. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 37, verse 25, I have been young and now I am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. You see, God always has blessed those who are willing to obey him. God favors the faithful and opposes the offender. So why are so many Christians playing both sides of the fence? Why are so many Christians playing with fire, if you'll give me the liberty to use that term? Why are so many Christians, if if God's word makes it so blatantly obvious that the man who obeys God and the man who lives his life for God, if that man will love him wholeheartedly, God will bless him fully. Why so many Christians being that man some of the time and this other man another bit of the time? There's no gray area with God. Our God works in absolutes. He's made many declarations in the Bible. Those declarations are, I love those that love me. I I will bless those that bless me. The distinction is, he cannot treat an unfaithful child the same way he can treat a faithful child. Can you imagine the father in the prodigal son's day just continuing to uh, uh, send money into the bank account of the prodigal son? Did you know if the, if, if the prodigal son's father had continued to transfer money into his bank account? Do you know that he would have never spent time in the hog pen? Did you know that he would have continued to have the same influences and all those people who were his quote-unquote friends when he had the money, they would have continued to be his friends if he had continued to have the money. But it wasn't until the prodigal son no longer had the support of the father no longer had the blessings of the Father, and he had wasted his substance on riotous living. And now he sits uh, eating the husk, filling his belly with the husks that uh, uh, the swine were eating. And, and the Bible says he looks around, and the Bible says he came to himself. And his, his first thought were, was, how many of my father's hired servants have bread to eat in plenty? And look what I'm doing. My father's servants have as much as they want, and I have nothing. You don't think God, which the father in that passage is a perfect picture of God, in case you don't know. You don't think God deals with his children the same? I'm sorry to say, God cannot bless someone who is in rebellion against him because it will never allow that child to see their need for God. Oh, yeah, sure, wicked men are blessed. The Bible makes very clear that the Father causes the Son to uh, rise on the just and the unjust, and the rain falleth on the just and the unjust. But just because you're unjust, just because there's rich men in this world who uh, uh, do not know the Lord their God, uh, uh, my God, just because there's rich men, they are miserable. I've known many of them. And God cannot continue to bless somebody who's living a wicked life. Teenagers, I'm sorry to say, some of you who are living the way y'all are living, you're not going to experience God's blessing on your life. 
And you're going to be asking yourself, well, why can't I get into the college that I want to get into? Why can't I go where I want to go? Why can't I uh, uh, be successful? Why can't I get the promotion? And the reason is in your outright rebellion against God. And you can't play both sides of the fence. Parents, I'm sorry to say your kids are taking notes from you. We cannot play both sides of the fence. How about we just decide, like Joshua says, choose ye this day whom you will serve, whether it be the gods of your fathers uh, or, or, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we're not going to play both sides of the fence. I like how uh, the Old Testament prophet said it this way. How long halts ye between two opinions? How long are you going to play both sides of the fence? We've got to realize that God is not blessing or is not blessing people who are not living right. And we need to get right if we are one of those people. The declaration, the distinction. Thirdly, I want you to notice this, the dealing. And this is what so many Christians are guilty of. Trying to make a deal. Cut a deal with God. I want you to notice in verse 25 here in chapter number 8. And Pharaoh called for Moses. And I want to give you a little bit of backstory here. Moses has made entirely clear, perfectly clear, that God wanted his children to go three days' journey into the wilderness, out of Egypt, to sacrifice to God. Verse number 25, And Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go ye sacrifice. Man, we've had a breakthrough. We've, we've finally gotten somewhere. Pharaoh's giving us permission to go and sacrifice. Oh, but there's a contingency. Sacrifice to your God in the land. In other words, be who you want to be, but you're going to have to be who you want to be right here. If you don't know, uh, Egypt is a perfect picture of the world. And you could look at this Bible passage in a very real sense. What Pharaoh is saying is, be the Christian that you need to be and and, you know, check that box on your Facebook account and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, call yourself a Christian. But while you're here, just, just live in the world while you're your Christian. That's what he's saying. He's saying stay content with who you are and where you are and you can do your Christian thing on the side. And a lot of Christians have cut that deal with God. They've looked at God and they said, God, I'm a redeemed believer. Father, I thank you for the impact that Christ has had on my life. He saved me. Lord, your, your son's blood has bought me. But uh, getting me to change is a whole different ballgame. I've got my own uh, uh, priorities. I've got my own uh, 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 preferences. Lord, I, I, I'm just, I am my own man, and, uh, uh, but I, I'm yours. No. Paul put it this way, I am crucified with Christ. Ne- nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Oh, he said, I've given my whole life to Christ. He is my everything. He's the reason I live. He's the reason I breathe. He's the reason I work. He's the reason I serve. Christ is all in all for me, Paul said. Sometimes I don't think Christians are living that way. We cut the deal. Well, God, if I'm going to live in this world, I might as well enjoy the world. Yeah, we're a bunch of lots. And the Bible says, Lot vexed his righteous soul. 
being there in Sodom and Gomorrah, seeing the wicked deeds daily. You say, oh, the world has no effect on me. I'm sorry. It's affecting you much more than you think. Hey, you can only roll around in the garbage so long until you get a little smelly. And uh, the first deal that Pharaoh tried cutting was stay content with where you are. Secondly, he says in verse 28, stay close. Verse 28, and Pharaoh said, I will let you go that ye may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. So he's given in to everything that they've asked for. Oh, but here's the contingency. Only ye shall not go very far away. So the, the request of Moses the entire time has been, Pharaoh, we will go three days' journey, and we will, we will take everything. Uh, we're going to take our cattle. We're going to take everything we own. It will be like we're not here. And we're going to take everything out of Egypt, three days' journey, and we're going to sacrifice unto God there. And, and, and Pharaoh here comes close. He says, sure, you can go into the wilderness. After all, that is what you want. The only thing that I'm going to request of you is that you don't go very far. In other words, he was telling them he doesn't want them to go extreme. I mean, don't be one of those Jesus freaks. <laughs> I mean, uh, you're not going to be the kind of guy that evangelizes the people around the water cooler, are you? I mean, you're not going to be one of those guys who's on the work site telling people that you don't want to hear the cursing. You, you, you don't want to, you're not going to be one of those ladies who's uh, seated around the lunch table and all the ladies start gossiping about some filthy show on television. You're just the person that gets up and leaves. You're not going to be one of those people, are you? Because if you, you can be a Christian. Yeah, we're happy for you. You have the God of Israel. Awesome. But we don't want you to go very far. We don't want you to look that different. We don't want you to talk that different. Just go a little bit, but don't go too far with it. Is that not the request of this world? Just kind of stay close. Second Corinthians, however, paints a vastly different story of someone who's met Christ. The Bible says in chapter 5, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I don't fully understand how somebody could meet the Savior that I know and not look a little different. Sometimes you'll drive by on the interstate and you'll see terrible accidents of semi-vehicles that have crashed into smaller vehicles. You know what? The destruction is always quite apparent, isn't it? The semi-vehicle most of the time is not that damaged, but the car is mangled. We look at that and we say, wow, the destruction. I tell you, when a Christian meets Christ, it's a whole lot different than a semi-meeting somebody. It's like a locomotive of holy hitting you. And we say, well, you know, I'm, I'm growing. I'm become, you know, I, I only smoke seven packs a day now, amen? Now, look. That's not, that's not the Bible picture of a Christian that it tells us about. Uh, Paul didn't kill just a few Christians after he got saved. <laughs> Can you imagine? Well, now Paul's only killing two a day. We love you, Brother Paul. Man, the restraint you're showing. No, he changed. He was a different man when he met the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he wasn't going to stay close. In fact, everybody looked at him and they said, Boy, can you believe that? The other day he was slinging swords, now he's preaching from the sword of the Lord. Amen. I can't believe the impact that Christ made on his life. 
And really, Christ ought to have the same impact on our life. Thirdly, the dealing. Fourthly, when we're done, the deception. The deception. Now, don't miss this. Once Pharaoh got in this mode of making a deal with God, once he said, God, uh, or well, he said it through Moses, but he was saying, Moses, I can't give in fully, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to allow you to do this. And, and, and basically, Moses says, okay, I'll entreat for the Lord uh, for you. Verse 28, and Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only ye shall not go very far away. Entreat for me. Moses essentially goes on and says, I will talk to the Lord for you, verse 29. Now, skip on down to verse 32. And this is what happens every time to a man who does not fully surrender, but a man who's trying to cut a deal. Verse 32. And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. See, the deception was this. When you try playing, let's make a deal with God, you never give in to God. And God's not going to give in to you. And what it does is it builds a callous. It makes you harder because while you were trying to work with God and God was trying to work with you, during that time, uh, there's a lot of friction. And God's saying, you know, I need you to come here. And you say, well, God, I'm willing to go here. And then what takes place is we try cutting a deal and and we think that we've got everything worked out when God has asked us the entire time to go the full way. You see, God didn't say to Jonah, hey, Jonah, can you kind of go to Nineveh's gates and start shouting at people? In fact, if you can just go to the city limits, you don't even have to go in. God's always asked his children to go the full distance. And, and, And God is looking at us today saying, I've got something bigger for you. I've got something greater for you. I need you to start learning my word. I need you to study the Bible. My question to you is, yesterday I spoke to a lady uh, who was completely confused about what she believes. Uh, Absolutely. It broke my heart for what she believes. Uh, But my question to you is, if I started to ask you the same questions I was asking her, how much would you know? I asked her very basic questions, and she had no clue what she believed. She was making declarative statements as if she knew, and then finally she admitted, you know, I I could be wrong on some of the things I believe. Uh, If somebody started to ask you about the Word of God, you say, hey, can you show me that Jesus is the Son of God? And and by Son, I mean not inferior to God, but absolutely equal with God. Can you show me somewhere in the Bible that says that? What would you do? And God is saying, look, I want you to be a Bible student. I want you to be a Bible scholar. It's a shame that people know fake books more than we do. It's a shame our teenagers know more Harry Potter than, uh, or whatever the new one is, Inception, or what's that? I don't even know. I'm so out of hip-hop culture. Maybe we need to hire a new youth director. Amen? Probably. I need to get more into culture. I don't know, but... what we know more about the novels that we read than we do the very word of God that changes lives. And God looks at you and says, I've got something better for you. You know, well, God, I'll read my proverb a day. Did you know the past 30 times you've read your proverb a day, it's not changed one time? And congratulations for reading it. I'm, you're gaining wisdom. I, I'm happy for you. But did you know there's a whole other world out there that you can explore? 
That'd be like being in Salt Lake City, Utah, saying, what a beautiful place this is, and not ever knowing that some of the tropical forests exist. Uh, Look, God's word is beautiful, and God's telling you, man, take that next step in your Christian life. Take the next step. Be a better Christian this year than you were last year. Be a better child. Be a better representative. Be a better testimony. Be a better witness. Be a better Christian. Well, God, I can't sell out totally, so this is what I'm willing to do. And unfortunately, what it's doing is it's hardening your heart just like it did Pharaoh's. You want to know who the best pretender in all the Word of God is? He was a man that spent more time with Jesus than just about anybody. In fact, uh, we have records of him being so close to Jesus that he looked around and said, why don't we take this very valuable vessel and give it to the poor? What a Christian! I mean, he was more worried about uh, 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 the poor and the needs of the poor than, than the vessel that was broken. Uh, This man uh, literally witnessed some of the greatest miracles in all the Word of God right in front of his very eyes. And yet he was the same man that betrayed our Lord Jesus. Everybody looked at Judas, looked at him and said, man, what a Christian. In fact, he did great miracles. Uh, Everybody looked at him and said, man, Judas, what a Christian. All the while, Judas was corrupt on the inside because he was trying to cut a deal. Trying to negotiate with God. Well, God, I, I, I won't, can't be the entire man that you want me to be. God, I can't, I can't be fully committed. God, I can't give up my love for money. In fact, in that passage where he says, uh, why didn't we give this to the poor? The Bible makes very clear. He wasn't concerned about the poor. He was wanting the own money to go in his bag. Look, we're, we're playing a very dangerous game. God is asking and requesting of his children to take the next step. To be better. And and the reason I don't have to go into great detail is almost every one of us know what that is. If you're not tithing, you know what the next step for you is? 10%. You say, well, Brother Andrew, that's an Old Testament command. You're right. I'm, I'm sorry. That was under law. Under liberty, we're actually called to do more, aren't we? You're welcome to give 15 or 20% if you want to. If you're not tithing, go ahead and tithe. If you've got bad habits, if you've got bad hobbies, if you're living in sin, man, get rid of it and experience a fullness of joy that only a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ can can fulfill. Man, just be who you know you ought to be. And stop playing this let's make a deal game. I read a story here recently, and I've heard it told before. I I really enjoy this story. One day a burglar walked into a home when... uh, uh, the people who owned the home were away on vacation. He had scoped out the home, and he walked in, and he made sure that nobody was home. And He was being very uh, careful to not allow his light to be seen through the outside of the window, so he would only click it on uh, uh, for very short periods of time to make sure that the people outside the home, the neighbors and those driving by, could not see that someone was inside the home. He would turn it on, and he would find a valuable item, like he would find a Blu-ray player or a PlayStation, and he, would, and he would find those items, and he would go and he would begin to work on it, but he would do it in complete darkness so as not to be seen from the outside. The man finally gets some stuff into his bag, and here in a second he hears someone say, Jesus is watching you. 
man drops everything that he's doing. In complete darkness, he just kind of slides up against the wall, not knowing if somebody's there. And here in a second, he doesn't hear any movement. He doesn't hear anything go on. So he takes his light and he searches the room and he can't find anything. And he says, well, I guess I must be hearing things. So he goes back to what he was doing. The man begins to put more things into his bag to take off with him. Here in just a few moments, he hears, Jesus is watching you. The man drops everything that he's doing again. He just turns his flashlight on. He says, I don't care if anybody sees me. I know I heard what I heard. And he begins to search the room, and he finds over in the corner a parrot. And the man looks at the parrot and says, was that you? And the parrot says, yes, it was. And the man says, what is your name? He said, my name is Moses. And the, the man is confused. He's kind of bewildered. He says, what? And he looks at the parrot and he says, who names their, their, their parrot Moses? And the parrot responds promptly, the same people that name their Rottweiler Jesus. Well, it's kind of a comical story. Would we all agree this evening that Jesus is watching us? Let's stop living. And I love the way our pastor put it this morning. We act like Jesus is just kind of gone and removed, like he's not coming back, that he's not going to catch us red-handed. We've, we've compartmentalized Jesus so much that it's like we can do what we want and then turn back to Jesus and be like, well, you didn't see that, Jesus. Jesus is watching. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth, beholding the evil and the good. The Bible goes on to tell us uh, uh, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Sometimes we act like God's a fool. Uh, like we do, we get our hands dirty in this old world, and then we look at God and say, God, I love you for loving me. Lord, you first loved me, and I'm just so thankful for the relationship you provide. And God's like, you're coming to me with those hands? You're filthy? You need your mouth washed out with soap, son. Sometimes we just, we, we make a deal. But Christians who make deals never have miracles happen. They never experience the intimacy. You know why Judas was so empty at the end of his life? He went out and hung himself because he didn't know Jesus. Although he had talked with Jesus, although he had watched Jesus, although he had seen Jesus impact other people's life, he himself did not know the Lord. Friend tonight, do you know the Lord personally? Now, sure, you got enough faith to save you, but do you have enough faith to change you? A, a faith that's not worth changing is a, a faith that's not able to save you. And I hope tonight that... Uh, these are not fun sermons to preach, man. I don't like people being mad at me. I, I like y'all. Y'all are my friends. Man, I hope that uh, y'all keep treating me good. But at the same time, let's not be so foolish to think that some of us don't have our hands dirty. And some of us aren't trying to cut a deal. Well, God, I know that you expect me to be like some of the men in the Bible and some of the women in the Bible. But, Lord, I'm just not willing to be that extreme. Oh, man, could you imagine if tomorrow we showed up to work and the only thing that would come off our tongue was, hey, did you know that my pastor preached a sermon? 
And they say, you mean to tell me with the Cowboys playing and the Rangers playing and all that's going on in the DFW Metroplex, the first thing you say to me is, you're talking about your church yesterday, you're talking about your sermon yesterday, you're talking like it made a difference in this whole world. Would that not be something? If people really recognize just that this thing is real and that what is preached from this pulpit and what this book contains impacts our life, and changes our life. I hope tonight that if you're making a deal with God, you'll stop. And I hope that you will not be like the church of Laodicea, who was hot, or was not hot, was not cold, and God said, because you were lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. You make me so sick, you make me want to vomit because you were just trying to make a deal, and yet you're not getting anywhere.